Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. All right, so I'm going to be teaching, because of this uh, fast, I'm going to be teaching on how to experience the promises of God. How to experience the promises of God. That's what I'm teaching on today. How to experience the promises of God. Because one thing that is very clear and I want you to have in mind, is that in this season, the intention of God is for you and I to experience his promises. And you will experience these promises in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, what I'm teaching today, please permit me to say, it's a classic. You know, the messages that you call classic, what that means is basically, they're not messages for the moment alone. The messages for the moment, but they also meant messages for the journey. That's what you call a classic. Messages for the moment, but also messages for the journey. What it means is that you hear it for the moment, but you also go back to it over and over again. Does it make sense to us? Yeah. There was a time a few years ago when I went through a tunnel and I had a flat tire. I listened to one particular message 200 times. 200 times. One message only. 200 times. I just kept on hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, because there are some messages that, and this message, the man that preached the message um, passed on maybe 70, 60, 70 years ago. But I listened to it over and over and over again because they're classics. The messages that are classics because they show you the how-to. Is anybody in this house? Yeah, they give you the how-to. How-to. So, Today, I'm going to talk about this. How do we experience the promises of God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to appreciate you today and magnify your name. There is no king like you. We celebrate you. Please receive our thanks in Jesus' name. We pray that your Holy Spirit will amplify these words in our hearts in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Somebody expect and said, Amen. The Bible is full of thousands of promises. We know that already. It's full of thousands of promises, okay? It's full of thousands of promises. And these promises are real. And they're intended to be practically experienced by all believers. Friends, listen very carefully. There is no promise in the Bible that is there as the placeholder. There is no promise in the Bible that is there just to fill up the Bible. Every promise in the Bible is intended by God to be experienced intended by God to be experienced, to be practically experienced here on earth, every of the promises. So it's interesting then to note that many believers today are not experiencing these promises of God. Many believers are not experiencing the promises in practical terms. And it now looks like God is a liar. There are many things that God has said in his word. If you and I want to be very sincere with ourselves, okay, for all of us that are watching and those that are here, if you want to be sincere with ourselves, there are promises that we have looked at and we want to see the manifestation, we're yet to see the manifestation. And now, in practical terms, so when we read then and we hear these promises, but we don't experience them, it leads to frustration, it leads to disillusionment, 
but it leads to one other thing, which is not on my slide here, but I'm going to tell you. It leads to frustration, it leads to disillusionment, then if you're not very careful, it can lead to heresy. If you're not very careful, it can lead to heresy. That's when people begin to now, um, you know, look at what God has really said and begin to change it to, to conform to their circumstances rather than their circumstances conforming to what God has said. You and I must understand that the very first manifestation of the devil in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, the first manifestation of the devil in Scripture, he did two things. And these two things are so critical because they are the two most important things he likes to do till this moment to every believer. The first thing he did was that he attacked the intention of God. Did God say that you should not eat anything of all the fruits of this garden? Eve said no. The intention of God. The second thing Satan did was that he attacked the integrity of God. Oh, no, Eve said no. God did not say we should not eat. He said, but you can eat everything, but except this particular tree. If you eat this particular tree, you will die. Then Satan said, no, you will not die. He attacked the intention of God and he attacked the, what's the second thing? Integrity of God. This is the classic attack of the enemy against every believer. Listen carefully to me. As you are seated here right now, and those of us that are watching, listen carefully. Satan, if you have been a Christian for at least six months, Satan has come against you to attack the intention of God in your life and the integrity of God in your life. That's why sometimes you will feel maybe God is not, God doesn't love you. Sometimes you will feel maybe, you know, maybe you're all alone by yourself. Sometimes you feel, you know, depressed, you feel anxious, you, you have all of these emotions. You know, you're wondering what is the intention of God in this? Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Why is this going on? Why is God not answering my prayers? Satan is attacking the intention of God. Then sometimes we look at the word of God and we're saying to ourselves, what is going on? But God, you said there shall be no barren in the land. Then, then Satan begins to tell us, if you're not very careful, he's attacking the integrity of God. God does not mean what he says. Mm. And he's not saying what he means. There is, there, is, there is a fine print to all of these things. God does not mean what he says. He doesn't say what he means. You know, sometimes that's why people came up with all manners of, all manners of reasoning. And so, so sometimes God answers prayers all the time, but sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. All of these are all human reasoning to try and justify the lack of faith on the part of man. Please stay with me today. We get frustrated, we get the solution. When my son was praying, leading us in prayer here, he was talking about we're praying for people that are backsliding. So as we're having this program, you know, uh, people that are backsliding, that, you know, they'll come back to God. And part of the reason why people backslide, you know, to backslide is actually to begin to slide and then you end up at the back from where you started. So, what I want, really wanted to know, note is that it's not a back turn or a turn back. It's a slide. It's a slide. And this slide starts happening when disillusionment is, starts crystallizing in our hearts. You're believing God for something, it then doesn't work out the way you think it ought to work out. 
then suddenly you begin to have disillusionment in your heart. Then instead of coming to church, you no longer, I don't really want to go to church. I'm feeling somehow. Your Bible, don't want to read the Bible. Messages, not sure. Uh, praise and worship music is going on in your house. You tell them, please, please, please put it off. Please. I need some quiet. Now, at that point, it's still recoverable easily if you have a good friend that have access to you. But if not, before you know what's happening, you're already questioning it. Are we even sure this thing is real? So I want to tell you today, God is real. I said to somebody here, God is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is real. You know, God is real is not difficult for many of us that have African or Caribbean heritage. The reality of God is not difficult. And the reason why the reality of God is not difficult is because the reality of the counterfeit is obvious. You know, we grew up seeing the counterfeit. So now, to come and tell me now that there is something that is real, we know it's real because we grew up, the counterfeit was all around us, they're still around us, they're in our families, we see them. Huh? They're not in your family? Yeah. I know they know. I know that. I know. I'm sorry. I, I'm, oh, I apologize. You are from, oh, okay, a long line of Christian heritage. Praise God for that. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> we know. We can see the counterfeit. It's very real. We see what people are doing. You know, I was hearing the man of God. He was in a crusade. In eastern part of Africa, I will not mention the name of the country. You know, this man, God has helped him. He's, God has had a lot of grace from God. He pastors a church today that meets in the biggest church building in the world. No questions asked. So, you know, so he was preaching. He was doing a crusade in a particular east, east, eastern Africa country, East African country, just recently, actually. And when he got to the Eastern African country, he was ministering and God gave him some word of knowledge and he ministered to some people. And some people were living in the, a part of that Eastern part, a, a part of that country in East Africa. And in that part of that country, when you plant something today, now, now, listen very carefully. You plant something in the morning, in the evening, you can harvest it. I, I, I come to the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sir, you take potato, you plant it today. In the morning, in the evening, you send your son, say, please, go and harvest my potato for me. In that part of the country. Now, you know, this advanced technology. <laughs> so, when I, you know, when I heard that, I said to myself, seriously, you know, you mentioned the country and all that. So I came to church. I called two of my daughters that are from that country. <laughs> so they agreed to me. I said, please, stay where you are first. <laughs> stay where you are, please. Please. Let me speak in tongues a bit. This is where you're coming from. Anyway, no, but seriously, I called both of them. I said, I said, you know, this is what I heard about something, something about your country. I said, what, what, is, is this really true? I know it's true, OK? 
okay, because the man did not lie. But I said, is, is this is happening? The senior sister pointed to the junior sister and said, that's where her mom comes from. <laughs> the junior sister pointed to the senior sister and said, her mom is from there. This is the village of the mom. This, this, okay now, so the question I'm, asked, I'm saying to you now, that, do you think that's scientific? <laughs> After all, you went to school. Some of you even did, you have a master's degree in agricultural science. Some of you, your area of specialization is crop science. Have you ever seen that kind of a technology? There's a particular country in Africa also where they have a festival called the New Yam Festival. And in some part of this New Yam Festival, there are people that put technology in place and the yam that is still in the soil when they bring it out like this, it's cooked with smoke, ready to eat. Kayi and Catalusia. And then they serve it. It goes as Akasas, Makataboshni, Kelekatabashakata, Bosnika. Only God knows what some of you have eaten. <laughs> so if the counterfeit is there, it is because the original is there. God is real. And no matter any spirit that is around, God is the father of spirits. He's the father of spirits. He's the most high God. And his word is true and unfailing. His word is true and does not fail. It's unfailing. His intentions are pure. His intentions are pure. So we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning quickly. Exodus chapter 12, verse 25, 2 Samuel 7, 28. Write them down if you're writing. We're going to walk through very quickly. Then we're going to get into how to experience this promise of God. Because God is real. His word is real. His intentions are pure. How do I enter into the practical manifestations of this word? 1 Kings 8, 56, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. So let's go. God is speaking here, he says, it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord your God will give you just as he has promised. You shall keep this service. So you see now that God did not say if you come to the land. What did he say? When you come to the land. Because he intends for that promise he has given to be kept. God intends, his intention is to keep the promise. Is to keep the promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 28. David was speaking. David said, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. You have promised this goodness to your servant. Your words are true. This is the foundation if you and I are going to experience the promise of God. You have to believe God is real. You have to believe his words are true. His words are true. His words are true. 1 Kings 8, verse 56, when Solomon was praying, Solomon said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. All, not a few things he promised. Not some of what he promised, but how many of it? All. There has not failed, not even one word of all of his good promise, which he promised to his servant Moses. Not one has failed. I'm praying for you today. Every promise God has given you, you have heard either verbally or that you have read, will, not one of them will fail in your life. You will practically experience them in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 1, 
so that you can see that it is carried on this 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 characteristic of God this this expression of the character of God is carried into the New Testament in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5 being assembled together with them he commanded them this is Jesus now not to depart from Jerusalem oh I love this 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 don't depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father come on now wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me we are having a challenge in the body of Christ now where people have departed they depart you are believing God for something in January. By February, you don't see it. People depart from God. They depart from the position of faith. Satan is telling them, move. You can't find it now. Go, go, go and do it your own way. But I receive grace not to depart in Jesus' name. Receive grace not to depart in Jesus' name. In this season, you have to come to the point of realization where you say to yourself, here I stand, I do no more. The Bible says, having done all, stand, and they stand ye therefore. You get to the point in your life where you say to the enemy, I stand here, I'm not going to move. The word of God is true, and I'm going to prove it. In this season, it will be obvious to every devil in hell that the word of God is true in your life. <laughs> I said to myself at one point I was going through a big challenge. My family, actually, my entire family, were going through a big challenge some years ago. I said to myself, I said, Satan, you better hear me. This word of God is true. I will stand on it till death. I will stand on it till death. You have to come to that point where the Bible says, having done all, stand. Not having done all, shake. Not having done all, look for another option. But having done all, stand. Somebody here receive grace to stand in Jesus' name. And the Bible says, Jesus told them, look at what, this is very interesting to me. He told them, not many days from now. But some people have departed. Some people departed. But Jesus said, it's not many days from now. Do you know how many people have, they've quit 24 hours before the breakthrough? Not many days from now. Not many days. It isn't not many years, but not many days. But some people depart. Somebody say, I will not depart. Oh, say, let the devil hear you. I will not depart. Oh, say strongly and forcefully. I will not depart. Satan, hear me. I will not depart. I'm standing strong on the promises of God. You know, today in Christianity, we have a lot of different kinds of music, different kinds of songs. Half of them... It's just, it's not, but in those days, people sang songs that came from heaven, standing on the promises of God. Let's look at a few examples of people that stood on the promises. Let's look at three of them. Joshua and the children of Israel. Let's look at the corporate example first and foremost. Joshua and the children of Israel. In Joshua 21, verse 43 to 45, they stood on the promises of God. And they did not shake. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 to 45. First example, the Bible says, so the Lord gave to Israel. Come on now. I love this. The Lord gave to Israel, not half of it, all the land which he has sworn to give to the fathers. And they took. Do you have time a little bit this morning? Now listen to this. There is, there is, there are two things I wanted to see here. Both of them are different, but they're complementary. Okay? They work together. The first one is give, 
The second one is took. But they're not the same. God gave, the people took. God gives, man takes. You have to understand, if you don't take what God has given, it's not God's fault. There are many things that God has given that man has not taken. Let me bring it into your, into a way, put it in a way that will be simpler. Listen carefully. The prayer of petition gives God the permission to give. Let me take that again. The prayer of petition gives God the permission to give. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given. So the prayer of petition gives man, gives God the permission to give. That's where many people stay. It has been given. But now it has been given now. You now have to take Matthew 11 verse 12. The violent takes it by force. So the prayer of warfare allows man to take what God has given through petition. Is anybody in this house today? The prayer of spiritual warfare allows you to take what God has given. It is this, you pray a prayer of petition, then we do warfare, prayer of petition, God stretches out his hand. Prayer of warfare, you stretch out your hand, and then you are able to connect with the hand of God and take what belongs to you. So in these seven days, we're going to be doing both. We're going to have petition, and we're going to do warfare. I must say this to you, uh, but I'm going to say it to you in a way that is um, friendly. There are some people that have outlasted their outlasted their space in our lives. Interpret it the way you want to interpret it. And it is time for them, it's time for them to be excused. Are you still with me? Yeah, it's time for them. So we are going to be doing that in this period of fasting. And you are going to be hearing a lot of news after it that some people have been excused. They've changed domain. So the Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that they have sworn to the fathers, and not a man of all of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands, and not a word failed of all the good things which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. <laughs> For you also, this will be your testimony. I said, this will be your testimony. I'm saying, this will be your testimony. Somebody say to yourself, this will be my testimony. Oh, say like you believe it, this will be my testimony. This will be my testimony. This will be my testimony. All came to pass, it will be my testimony. Come on, it will be your testimony. Give him a shout of praise. All came to pass. That was for corporate Israel. Now, let's look at an example of an individual, Sarah. Sarah. So I love the story of Sarah so much because of the summary of her story. The Bible says she was past the age of childbearing, but by faith, she was able to still bear a child. It's possible 
in the natural to run out of time. But in the supernatural, we never run out of time. It's never too late in the supernatural. Sarah ran out of time. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. She bore a child when she passed the age of childbearing. We are not denying the fact, but we're denying that the fact is the only thing that exists. We're not denying the fact that it's stage four cancer, but we're denying the fact that that is the only thing that exists. That's not the only thing that exists. That's not the only reality. I'm, I don't agree that that's the only reality. Our God is still in heaven and he does as he pleases. Sarah passed the age of childbearing. Time ran out. Satan makes sure he ran out the clock. And the Bible records that fact. That there's no time anymore. Oh, no. Somebody is saying now you're in your early 40s now. You're thinking you can't get married anymore. Who said so? You're saying to yourself, oh, maybe I can only get married to a fairly used man. <laughs> interpret that the way you want to interpret it. But who said? Who said so? Sarah herself received strength to conceive. And the Bible tells us what happened. And the Lord visited Sarah as he has said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he has spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God has spoken to him. Stand on your feet like a champion. In this season, may God visit you. May God visit your household. May God visit your family. May God single you out. May God visit you. The God that visited Sarah, may he visit you. In the name of Jesus. If you receive it, let your amen show you receive it. Turn to two or three people around you and tell them, God will visit me. God will visit me. God will visit me. God will, he will visit you. The Bible says, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. So listen, I'm coming down there. I want to do something very prophetic, which you are going to do yourself. You're going to do yourself. And Sarah said, God has made me what? And all who hear, what will happen to them? All right. So give me Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Let's start from verse 17. Put it on the screen. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Quickly. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom we believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls the things that do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. Come on now. It was about the hundred years old. And the what? Oh, please speak to me. Speak to me. Please. I crave your indulgence one more time. And the what? So quick question, please. I'm not assaulting your intelligence. I'm just asking a question for meditation purposes. The womb of Sarah, how was it characterized? Dead. Dead. So in Genesis 21 verse 6, Genesis 21 verse 6, let's look at it now. Genesis 21 verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh. 
Okay, this is what is going on. Listen very carefully. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Yes. Meaning of Isaac is what? Father. How was Sarah's womb characterized? Yes. So that means God brought laughter Woo. out of a dead situation. Stand on your feet like a champion. You are going to put your hand on your midsection and you are going to say to yourself, laughter will come out of every dead situation in my life. Laughter. Come on, pray, pray, pray for 90 seconds. Laughter will come out from every dead situation in my life. Laughter must come out from every dead situation in my life. Laughter must come out. Oh, yes. Laughter came out of the deadness of Sarah's womb. It must come out of every dead situation in my life. Laughter. Laughter must come out. No doubt about it. Laughter. It must come out of every dead situation in my life. Laughter came out of the womb of Sarah. Laughter must come out. Oh, yes. Laughter will come out. It must come out. It will come out. I prophesy laughter coming out of every dead situation in my life. Oh, yes. Laughter must come out. Oh, come on, come on. 30 seconds more. Prophesy. Laughter must come out. Reglatosi. Laughter must come out from every dead situation in my life. Laughter must come out. Every dead situation in my future, in my destiny, laughter must come out. Every dead situation in my presence, laughter must come out of it. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are praying. Please keep the hand there. As the Lord lives that has sent me, I decree concerning you today, whatever is dead in your life, literally or metaphorically, I speak today and decree, may laughter come out of that situation. May laughter come out of that situation. Concerning that situation you have cried about, you have worried about, you are depressed about, it will end in laughter. Oh, I can't hear your amen. It will end in laughter. I came here to tell somebody today, that situation is not dead. Your future is not dead. The door is not closed. The door is not closed. The door is not closed. The door is not locked. It's not closed. Laughter will come out of it. In the name of Jesus. As the Lord lives, by the end of this year, you will be laughing about that situation. In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you receive that, give him a shout of praise. Please take your seat. It will end in laughter. It will end in laughter. Satan, you are a liar. It will end in laughter for me. Second, third example, and the final one. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. In Acts 23, verse 11 to 12. In Acts 28, verse 11 to 16. We're talking about people, examples of people that experience the practical dimension of the promises of God. So let's take a look at this now. What happened here? In Acts 23, verse 11 to 12, Jesus Christ 
gave Paul a promise. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said to him, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem. So you must, somebody say must, must also bear witness at home. Now listen, the amazing thing about the promise of God is this. He gave him that promise. He said it. He said, you, will be, you must bear witness for me in Rome. Immediately, he sent that word. Everything that will make Paul get to Rome was released. <laughs> for somebody here, listen, everything that will make Paul, the favor he will have with immigration officers, the favor he will have with governmental authorities, all of that was released at once. <laughs> God said, you must you must be at Rome. Now, because, and this is where you have to be careful, because that word has left the mouth of God, Satan believed it. Satan is believing the promises, man, and believers. Satan believed it, and the Bible said, when it was day. What does it mean by when it was day? Because the following night, this was night, when it was day, it's not even up to 24 hours. Satan is acting on the promises of God. Satan is acting on the promise of God. It's not even 24 hours. Satan believed it. The Bible said, when it was day, some of the Jews gathered together and said to themselves, they bound themselves with an oath, saying, we will never, never eat, we will never drink until we have killed Paul. Satan motivated and moved, the Bible said there were minimum 40 of them, moved 40 people, a congregation, and said, I believe that thing, that thing that Jesus had told Paul. Satan is saying to them, you don't even know Jesus. I know Jesus. Satan said that. He said, Jesus, I know. Didn't he say that? Yes. He said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. He said, you don't even know anything. Once that word has gone out of the mouth of God, it doesn't return void. Yes. So gather together now. You can't change it from God's point of view. You can only affect Paul. You see, you can't go back to tell Jesus, Jesus has integrity. He will fulfill his word. I know what I'm talking about. He's going to give. All you can do is to stop Paul from taking. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Jesus, is, he has said it. He has given. You must stop Paul from taking. So they fasted. Imagine people are fasting to stop your destiny. What are you doing eating? What are you doing eating? fast is strange. How many days did they fast for? How many days of fasting did they call? You know, here, how many days? Until the situation is resolved. As far as they're concerned. They said, until we kill Paul. The way to resolve the situation, we must not allow the gospel to get to Rome. We must kill Paul. So we're fasting until the situation is resolved. Some of us fast. Three day fast. He said, ah. Say, pastor has called another fast again. Please listen to me. You... Then the Bible says in Proverbs, I'm sorry, Acts 28, verse 11. After three months, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which was wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. Okay? From there, we circled around and reached Reguim. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Pitoli, where we found brethren, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we went towards Rome. And in verse 15, 
From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Oh, my God. And in verse 16, when we came to Rome, in spite of all the challenges the enemy threw, the fasting of those rascally boys, fought minimum 40 of them, stirred up a storm and all of that against Paul. But the Bible says, by the time it's all said and done, when we came to Rome, when I now held the child in my hand, when I now got the medical report that says I am free of sickness, when I now got the job I was trusting God for, when I now got the favor with the governmental authorities I was asking God for, the question is not if you will get it, it's a matter of when you will get it. When we came to Rome, you will reach that destination. You will embrace that promise. You will experience that promise. You will experience the promise in the name of Jesus Christ. When we came to Rome, Satan, you are a liar. You can't stop the promises from manifesting in my life. When we came to Rome, quick question. Do you think the person that said to Paul to go to Rome did not envisage that there will be a storm along the way. Speak to me, speak to me. He knew. He's omniscient. He knew. So, but he never told Paul there will be a storm. So what is it? But why is he hiding? He's not hiding. He trusted Paul to deal with the storm. He said, but God did not tell me I'll face all this. Yes, because he's trusting you to deal with it. He has equipped you to deal with it. And deal with it, you will. He knows the family you have come from. He knows there's so many astronauts in that family. I speak to the people on this side. You're not doing me well on this side. People on this side, they are very sincere. Astronauts. You know what, you know what astronauts mean? Astronauts in the family. God knows, and you are born in the midst of the astronauts. And God says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well placed. That even in the midst of it, I want to show you that the light shines. Oh my God. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot extinguish it. Right in the midst of darkness. When I was born, from where I was born, they were, it was a recruitment center for astronauts. Then, where I grew up, I spent most of my life growing up, astronauts everywhere. If you walk from the beginning, from our house to the end of the street, you will have gone through. I mean, it's, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for the Lord is with me, the comfort and the staff. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I mean, astronauts everywhere. But God said, That's my person. That's my person. The mark of God is upon your life. Whether the devil likes it or not, you will shout for victory. You will shout for joy. That thing they said will not reach your hand. It will reach your hand. Before this year is over, it will reach your hand. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but what they said will not reach your hand, will reach your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ. The important question then is, what did these people do? Joshua and the children of Israel? Sarah, 
Paul the apostle, what did they do to experience the promises of God? What did they do to experience the promises of God? Seven keys to experiencing the promises of God. And please listen. There are seven keys that it has pleased the Holy Spirit to show me by his message. I can't go through the seven keys now, but I promise you next week Sunday I'll, I'll complete it. So this is not, there's no cliffhanger here. All right. <laughs> it's not one of those. This is too serious and too important. Okay. I'm going to go through three of them now. Next week Sunday, I'll go to the remaining four. Is that okay? Yeah. So as we're entering the fast, so you can have them and you can engage them. Are you still with me? Somebody is saying, God bless PWA there. And I'm saying amen already. The first one is genuine salvation. Please don't think you already know this. Genuine salvation. Genuine salvation is a genuine encounter not with a church. It's not an encounter with a denomination. It's not an encounter with a man of God or a woman of God, as great as all those things are. It's an encounter with the person of Christ. Listen very carefully because this is the foundation. If we miss it at this point, it's not secure. There are many people that are in the church now that are not in Christ. Christianity in some parts of the world today is a fad. You increase your social rating when you go to church. In some places in the world today, oh, I go to this church, oh, I go to that church. You even see some people that have um, musical instruments, that, you know, handable musical instruments. They're, they're already going to church. And they're not born again. Some of them are even cooperating. Some of them are even recruits of the other side of the kingdom. They're not born again. They've never had a genuine encounter with the person of Christ. Because membership of a church is not a substitute for the encounter with the person of Christ. There are people that are ordained pastors. They poured oil on their head, but they're not saved. That's why God says, I know those who are mine. Let everybody name by the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You cannot say you are going to be calling devils to attack a group of people. And you say you're a pastor. You're not. You're not even born again. You're far from the kingdom. Don't tell me that we can't make comment on that. I can't. The Bible says, by the fruit, you shall know them. Can't tell me that you're going to summon demons to attack somebody and say you're a pastor. That's not a pastor. Where do you know the demons are? How do you know, to, how do you know how to summon them? You're not a pastor. You're a demoniac. Salvation cannot be assumed. It is the decision based on inner conviction. Are you a human being? It's not assumed. We know you are. Same thing with when you're saved. You know. Let's walk through a few things. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. If we confess, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's what makes people saved. You must believe that Christ came as a substitute for you to take away your sin and that on the third day he rose from the dead. You must believe that inside. Then you say it with your mouth. Then you're saved. For with the heart, man believes 
unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto what? That's it. Until this happens, you've not had an encounter with God. It's not about mounting a few things people say. No. It's about you having an internal conviction. And you know, when that internal conviction is there, and you've made a confession, and you are saved, your spirit man comes alive. Second, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. You have not been made alive in Christ, which basically means that your spirit that was, Bible considers it to be dead. Dead, basically, in scripture, is separation. It's been separated from God, okay? Because it's a sin nature. And God's eyes are too pure to behold evil. All right? So, now, you are made alive, though you and I were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But now we're made alive to God. The Holy Spirit is now coming to dwell in our hearts. From that point on, of course, your mind seems to be renewed. But from that point on, even the things you used to do before, that you used to enjoy without even feeling any sense of being convicted. You do the same thing again because your mind is still yet to be renewed, but you feel a conviction because somebody is, is living inside you now. You, you have not even read the scripture. You don't even know it's wrong in the scripture. But somebody is living inside you. Who wrote the scripture? And that person is now telling you, you just begin to feel on ease. Uh, so when you find somebody that says, I'm a Christian, doing something that is wrong, and they do it with impunity. They're not born again. They might have grown. They might have a title in church, but they're not born again. Run from them. Don't say, oh, only God knows who is born again. No, it's not only God knows. God knows and people know. Jesus told us, Matthew seven twenty. by their fruit, you, you shall know them. Not angels shall know them. Not God shall know them. You and me, we can know them by their fruit, not by their title in church. You know, I have zero respect for title. I don't like it at all. Because Satan does not respect title. I can say, you demonic spirits, as a pastor of house of priests, eh? what does that mean? Zero respect. Satan came and said, Paul, I know. Not Apostle Paul that I've written. No, not Apostle Paul. Paul. Even Jesus, he called Jesus by name. He said, Jesus, I know. Not the son of the living God. He said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. In this place, we don't recognize title. We recognize light. Revelation knowledge is what gives you weight. The realm of the spirit. Wait. There's nothing wrong in title. Honorifics are great. There's nothing wrong in it. But not that you rest on the title and say, oh, I'm the <laughs> divisional manager of this denomination. <laughs> Who respect? What is that? That's nothing. That's nothing. Genuine salvation. Genuine salvation. The Bible says in John 1, 11, he came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the birthright to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. If you believe in his name, you have experienced salvation, you are a child of God. Nobody can change that. Can I hear an amen from the children of God? I'm not speaking to everybody, I'm speaking to the children of God. Can I hear an amen from the children of God? That's the highest title in the world. First John chapter 3 verse 1 is not on my slide. Put it on the screen. First John 3 verse 1. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called, we should be called? The person that is writing this is an apostle. That, not an ordinary apostle. It's what is called the apostle of the Lamb. No other person will enter that group. The 12 disciples Jesus 
ministered to directly when he was here on earth. They are called the apostles of the Lamb. Okay, in scripture. And he did not say, what manner of laws has God bestowed upon me that I'm not an apostle? No. We are called children of God. People don't even know the value. Holy Spirit asked me. I was listening to the song. No longer a slave to sin, for I am a child of God. And the Holy Spirit asked me, do you know what it means to be a child of God? I kept quiet. Because by him asking me, it means I already don't know. That's what it means. My pharmacy teacher, when I was in pharmacy school, cannot set an exam for me anymore now. Because I know. I passed the exam, I've moved on. So if, it's, if I'm sitting on the exam now, it's because I don't know. To test what I know. So if you ask me that question, I just kept quiet. Later on, I asked, I said, please teach me what it means to be the child of God. And revelation opened up for me. Revelation opened up. What it means to be a child of God. And I've been pastoring for 20, 22 years, over 22 years. Child of God. Now, listen then. When you are a child of God, please listen carefully to this now. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20 now. Is now your right. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you and by us, talking about the salvation they've experienced now, the Son of God that you have experienced, is telling them, was not yes and no, but in him was what? Yes. Oh, please speak to me. In him was what? Yes. In him was yes. Now look at verse 20. All the promises of God in him they are what? Yes. And in him, they are what? Yes. But notice something very important. The promises are not yes. They are only yes in him. So if you are not in him, the promises are not sure. Make sure you know that you are genuinely born again. Don't assume it. Know it for sure. So that even when the devil comes to you and says, uh, uh, maybe you're not, you say, who are you talking to? I am a child of God. <laughs> I know it like Kenneth E. Eggie used to say, I know it in my knower. I know that I know that I know I'm born again. I'm a child of God. The promises of God to me in him. Yeah, yeah, anyway. This scripture is very deep. One day we'll have time when we go for a retreat. It's only a retreat that you can open up your face like this because it's very deep. Why the promises of God? is more sure to a Christian, a believer in Christ, than it was to Moses. Joshua, Moses. You see, all those people were so surprised. They said, ah, not one of his word failed. Unbelievable. Not one of, do you believe that one of, Joshua said it. Solomon said it. Not one of his word failed. The reason why they were just so surprised is that they were operating on a particular level. We are operating on a level that is higher than that. For we have a better covenant based on better promises. So for us, it's not a surprise when the promises become an experience. It should not be a surprise. It should be a surprise when it's not an experience. You should be asking, Lord, ah, why is this not so? I prayed for somebody sometimes ago. I took a walk, prayer walk, and I was praying. And I had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told me straight away. He said, the person will not make it. What? He said, because they've been given so many opportunities which they rejected. I've never had anything like that in my life. First time in over 22 years. I told my wife. I said, this is what I just heard. You see, the promises in him, they are yes. But when people are not in him, 
That's when he cannot be secure. But you and him, you should know. Let no devil convince you. What devil are you going to tell me now that my end is not going to be glorious? Satan, you're a liar. You can't tell me that. Because the promises in Christ are yes. And I am in Christ. You foul devil. Don't tell me that it will not be. Is anybody still in this house? That's the first thing you need to sort out. Do you, have you experienced the person of Christ? Do you have the new salvation? Don't just jump and say yes. You better know it. I know most of you are. But I cannot say for sure that all of you are. Some of us, when you ask, are you a Christian? I say, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. Nobody is a Christian all their life. So I was even born into a Christian home. That does not make you a Christian. You're not, nobody is a Christian all their life. All of us were born in iniquity, in sin. At a point in our life, we have to decide. You know, even if you are the son or the daughter of a pastor, we have to lead our own children to Christ. Uh, you know, explain to salvation to them and say, now say after me. Do you believe? Say, yeah, okay, say after me. Because it's not, it's not, salvation is not inherited. You can't listen to somebody and say, in the name of Jesus, makabu shakata, be saved. That's not how to be saved. You've got to know that. Are you saved? I'm asking you, are you saved? Yeah. I want to ask again, are you saved? Yeah. Saved. If you're saved, the promises are sure. There's no, don't doubt it. It's sure in him. It's amen. You see, the promises is in him. It's sure. Second thing that you need to know if you're going to experience the promises of God, you must know the love of God. This is an area that has been attacked ferociously, constantly, consistently, with determination by the enemy. The promises, the love of God. And religion doesn't teach us the love of God because the religion likes to put mysticism around God. The kingdom of God is full of mysteries. Listen very carefully. It's full of mysteries. But those mysteries are opened up in Christ. Matthew 13, 11. Mark 4, 11. Put it on the screen, please. He answered and said, because it has been given to you to know what? But to them, it has not been given. That means to those that are outside. Once you come into, the, into Christ, the veil is removed. You are now able to know, have access. Give me Mark 4, 11. Mark 4, 11, let me look at that, that rendition. He said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to those who are outside, all things are imparable. That's why when you give, give your life to Christ, before you give your life to Christ, you can be a professor of New Testament and not be saved. An example of someone that was a professor in Cambridge University, but was not saved, was a logician. It was... Um, it was, it was, it was uh, a professor in, in Greek language and other languages like that. A logician. He's a man called Derek Prince. But he was not saved. But the one day he took the Bible his mother gave him to read it to disprove that this thing is true. Then he encountered Christ on the pages. Derek Prince. He encountered Christ on the pages. His goal was to disprove it by logic, by the logic of philosophy. But the prayers his mother has prayed for him. He encountered Christ. When you encounter Christ like that, that was it. That was it. He became one of the most impactful preachers in the world. Direct prince. 
Being a professor of the New Testament does not make you born again. You need to know religion tries to mystify things. Christ came to simplify things. Religion's goal is to, the goal of, you know, okay, let me ask you a question. You go to a church. People are walking into the church. They walk into the church. You attend the church for years. They take a censer with incense. The incense is blowing. How did they make that incense? You don't know. Do you know the ingredients inside that incense? Nobody ever tells you. Ah, shh, you can't tell who. Only a few people know it. It's, it's like a cult. The whole thing is like a cult. I remember when I first got to London. <laughs> my uncle, well, my brother-in-law technically, but I just call him my uncle anyway. In Africa, anybody older than you is uncle. Thank you, Jesus. That's why we confuse our children here. So Uncle Shola said, Uncle Choma said, Uncle Charles said, so how many? He said, so Charles, is he your brother? He said, no, actually, we met in Canada. He said, ah, that's so. <laughs> See, that is your uncle. That's what's that. Some children will come to me and say, ah, uncle, ah, pastor, ah, uncle, pastor. I said, don't worry. Just say anyone. Because their parents have told them at home, when you see somebody older than you, call them uncle. Confusing. When I was growing up, all of my dad's sisters and all of that, and some elderly people or wives of his brothers, we don't call them names. We don't even call them. We call them mommy by the city they live in. <laughs> Is it true? Yes, now. So you go and tell your dad, mommy Toronto, ask her. <laughs> This is the woman that gave birth to Toronto. She's <laughs> it's when I grew up. I when I me grew up, I was in the university. Before I realized that ah, this man, this is his real name of this man. I knew it wasn't his name, I knew it was the name of the city, but I never knew the name, I never knew the real name of my uncles. Unless I did the research, I said, ah, so this is your real name. Ah. God loves you as an individual. Don't just put yourself in the group and say, I know God loves us in our church. God, I don't know if God loves us in our church. I know God loves me as an individual. As an individual, God loves me. You got to believe this. God cares about you as an individual. Are you staying in the house now? God's love means he cares for you. Nobody can convince me. As an individual, God loves me. And I'm going to show you why. I said so because it's in scripture. God took the initiative to love me without my input. Just the same thing for you. You can't convince me that God doesn't love me. My circumstances does not change that. God loves me. I might not understand the whole circumstances. I agree. But it does not change it. God he loves me. Satan, you're a liar. God loves me. Please write this down. Don't miss it. God loves you as an individual. Paul says, and you got to know that the, God, the love of God is unending and unbending. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He cares for you. 
cares for you. There is nothing as terrible as asking somebody that doesn't love you to help you. Somebody that doesn't care for you to help you. I know you don't care for me, but I'm asking you to help me. Do you know what that is called? It's called begging. Not asking. That's begging. That's what beggars do. Beggars don't know you. They don't know if you care for them or not. They just ask you, and sometimes you just tell them, please clear off my car when you're driving. And they have to. Because they don't know if you care. It's completely different from the way your son comes to you in the morning to tell you that his favorite cereal is just run out of it. And you're still in bed on the Saturday morning, you wanted to relax. And your, your, your seven-year-old son walks up to you and says, Mommy, let's use mommy because daddy, we don't know. But, <laughs> we don't know. Because if you go to the daddy, the daddy will say, go to your mommy. You know, so let's just use mommy. Because even God said that. God said, can a woman forget a child? He didn't say, can a father forget? Because fathers are the ones we have to run around to come and play, pay child support. And technically speaking, actually, it's wrong to call these people fathers. They're not fathers. Because a father is a source and a supplier in scripture. A source and a supplier. So anybody that somebody has to beg to put to make provision for the children, the biological children, that person is not worth the name of a father. It's not worth that nomenclature. It's a disgrace to fatherhood. Your child walks on and says, Mommy, Mommy, Siri, say, but we still have three or four other ones there. You say, oh, Mom, that's not the one I want to take. Immediately in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, okay, is the stores, are they open? How can I go? I say, oh, but I'm tired. This is but Mom. Without saying mom, you, I know you care for me. Without saying that, all just by saying mom. So, next thing, you get ready, you take the key to your car, you drive to the store, you buy just one box of cereal, and you come back home. Why? Because you care. The child believes you care. How come we're not dealing with God if we've been evil, know how to buy cereal for our children? How much more you're loving Holy Father? And so you're, you're sitting under here, somebody's thinking that God does not love me. God loves you. He loves you more than your biological father loves you more than anybody on at all combined will ever love you. <laughs> he loves you. You, go, you better believe that. You must believe that. Somebody say, God loves me. God loves me. Oh, say it with some covenant attitude. God loves me. God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. Now look at this now. God loves you individually. New Living Translation, John 11 verse 5. So although Jesus loved, come on now, Martha, come on, Mary, and come on. He could have just said, although Jesus loved the family. No, Jesus loved them individually. When God loved, he loves us individually. Even if we were Siamese twins, or co-joint twins rather. He still loves us individually. God loves me. No matter how much God loves you, it doesn't reduce the love God has for me. So don't look at someone and say, oh, I know God loves that man. He does not reduce the love God has for you. God loves us. The reason why God loves us, can I say something here? Yes, the reason why God loves you, loves me, and oh my God, this, I love Jesus. God is not just good, God is nice. No, good is good. <laughs> nice is better. God is nice. You know, nice, good is when your parents drop you in school in the morning and come to pick you up in the afternoon. 
Nice is when they come in break time and they give you lunch. Ah, that's nice. Hallelujah. Some of you didn't experience nice. <laughs> that's nice. They don't need to. They are not obligated to. That's what it means. You know, what I love about this thing is this. God does not love me because of what I do or what I did not do. No. His love, if his love was based on that, there would be none of us that God will love. Are you still with me? Because our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. There's none of us that God will love. And we will never have the confidence to approach God. The good news is that God loves us because of what Christ has done. And that's unchangeable. Somebody that is looking for scripture. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, brethren, this is brethren, everybody, having boldness to enter the bedroom of God. How? By the sacrifice of Christ, captured by the blood of Christ. By the blood. We can go into his bedroom, into his holy of holies. He doesn't love you and I because of our performance. He loves you and I. It is settled. Someone say settled. settled. Isaiah 54 verse 17. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against in judgment, you condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. For their righteousness is from me, God said. For he made him who no sin to become sin, so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I stand against you, Satan, and I'm saying, you are looking at the righteousness of God. Is anybody still in the house now? He loved us. First John chapter 4, verse 18 to 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. God took the first step. He took the first step. And John chapter 13, verse 1 says, he, he loved them to the end. When he loved his own, he loved them to the end. Now listen, part of these people he loved, called his own originally, was somebody that denied him three times. Somebody that placed a curse on his own life that he never knew Jesus. Though his ascent betrayed him. Just like some people will come here and you ask them, what's your name? <laughs> and they mention the name. And you know now. Let's leave that for a minute. <laughs> you ask them, hi, hi, what's your name? You say, my name is Godfrey. Even the way he pronounced the Godfrey. <laughs> God bless you, Mr. Godfrey. <laughs> it was just an example. It was just an example. <laughs> you already know. His Nigerian passport is out there. <laughs> to the end. He loved them to the end. God does not change in his love for you. Come on, hallelujah. Somebody shout, God loves me. Oh, say it one more time like you believe it. God loves me. That's true. God loves you. Don't let, don't let Satan cheat you of that. Your circumstances notwithstanding, God loves you. I don't have a job. God loves me. I don't have a child. God loves me. I don't have a wife. God loves me. No husband. God still loves me. God loves me. I'm waiting on God for these promises to be fulfilled. God. You and I came, we woke up this morning because his love does not fail. 
He loves us. While we were sleeping, he was fighting our battles for us. Do you know how many battles God has fought for you in the last three days alone? That's why the psalmist says, if it had not been for the Lord that was on our side. See, because you did not see the battles. Do you know how many, do you know how many people went to bed, heard your voice this morning and were surprised? The people that threw Daniel in the lion's den. The following morning, they were rejoicing that night, drinking, clinging, cleaning their cups, and saying, cheers, cheers, to the demise of Daniel. Cheers, cheers. We'll never see him again. Cheers, cheers. Then the following morning, the Bible says the king went there. Read your scripture with a lamenting voice. Because he heard that people were already, people were already saying, but the king said, ah, Daniel, ah, I'm going to miss this man. I'm going to miss this man. Let me pay my respects to him. He got there and said, Daniel, and your God that you serve was able to divide you. And Daniel moved out. Oh, king, leave her. The king goes, who has ever gone to the lion's den and spoke after 24 hours? <laughs> who has ever been through what you went through and is still standing? With all the things the enemy threw at you, you are still standing. The enemy didn't expect you to still be able to talk, to still be able to talk, to still be able to move, to still be able to shout, and here you are, you are still shouting hallelujah. You are still shouting hallelujah. You are still shouting hallelujah. Not that God loves me. Say it again, please. He loves me. He loves you. Please take a seat. Let me close on this. The third thing we need to do to experience the promise of God, this is where I really want to anchor everything today, the knowledge of his promises. God is not bound by anything outside of his promises. Prayer without the word of God within the prayer is a waste of time. Please listen very carefully. God is only obligated to keep his promises that you know and you bring to him in prayer. Let's take it again. God is only obligated to keep his promises that you know, that I know, and bring to him in prayer. Prayer does not answer prayer. God is the one that answers prayer. And he answers prayer based on certain protocols. The key protocol you need to know, apart from entering his gifts with thanksgiving and all of that, is that he wants to hear his word in your voice. It's not, oh God, look at me. Is this the way you'll be looking at me? I'm, with all these years now, look at me. All my friends have left me. They've gone. I'm still stranded here. Lord, see me now. I've been crying. I've praying. I'm fasting. Lord, you won't hear me. Lord, is this the way you're looking at me? Okay, oh, do something, Lord. Now, that is not prayer. That is complaint. That is grumbling. God is not hearing. God is not hearing. But when you say to God, you take his word to him. We're going to do that in a few minutes now. Ignorance of God's word is our greatest enemy. One great man of God said, there's no mountain anywhere. Every man's mountain is his own ignorance. Ignorance is our greatest enemy. People say, oh, this is place. This is this. This is that. Please listen very carefully. Take every situation you are going through right now. In this season, take it as a project. Take it as a, listen carefully, take it as a mid-term 
exam you have sat and you have gotten your mark. The present challenge you're facing is the midterm exam you sat. Now you've gotten your mark. Your mark is saying you need to up your game. You need to do more to pass. If not, you know, that's what it's telling you. So what you need to do, wisdom demands that you now go take your book. Am I right? Sit in your library, gather more knowledge, okay? And now attack it. Then the final exam you're going to write, you pass it. As you enter the third, the last quarter of this year, you will be shouting for joy. Look at it now. If we lack the knowledge of this world, our personal prayer sessions will de descend into complaining and grumbling, I just told you. Without the promises of God in our hearts, God is not obligated to move his hand. It is the promises of God in our hearts that move the hand of God from heaven. Okay? That's why it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, not for the strength of the devil. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Somebody said, well, you know, in my family, Father, I just face a lot of opposition. There's so many enemies, and it is true. So many agents of darkness. It is true. It's true. But lack of knowledge. One man came to me. 2003, 19 years ago, somebody brought him to me. The man came to me and told me, Pastor, even the way he was speaking to me, he was speaking, he was looking back. Pastor, Pastor. I said, why can I have you? Pastor, my wife is a witch. The wife was not a him. He came during the week. My, Pastor, my wife is a witch. Very serious witch. I said, okay, okay, calm down. How do you know that? He said, oh, my circumstances, and oh, something happened, I caught this, I saw her doing this, I saw her doing that. The man was, what the man was saying, circumstantially, okay, by circumstantial evidence, okay, he had, he had some reasons to say what he was saying, and all of that. So, so, when I saw the man, you know, this was 2003, I was in my 30s. When I saw the way the man was looking at me in my office, the man was, not, was looking at me like, are you sure you know what we're talking about here? Because I was telling him that that's not a problem. So he was looking at me strangely. So I said, I said, I said, looking at me now, there are people here that you cannot see. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> PWE, man, you're something I told the man, I said, there are people inside this room now you can't see. The man said, eh? I said, yeah, plenty of them. They're standing all around you now, you can't see them. Someone said, but why will you say that? He will give his angels charge. Why? Those that fear the Lord, the angel of just surround them. Uh -huh. So I'm saying speaking scripture. I'm just telling him in the way you will understand. So the man said, I said, so now, what I'm going to tell you now. I said, tell your wife, bring her to church on Sunday. When I shake hands with her, she will know that there's level, a new level of power. The man said, hey, you will shake hands with her? <laughs> 2003. I said, yes. I said, you bring her. I said, come here, bring her to me. I said, once I put up my hands, shake her. I said, she will know immediately. 2003. You know, the man brought the wife. I don't know what he told the wife. He brought the wife. The wife came. As the wife was walking towards me, the man was standing in the back. <laughs> Thinking that maybe I will fall down and die. So that like, he will say he's the one. I stretched out my hand. I shed through my hand. I said, ah, how are you, man? Trust you're doing well, man. I looked her right inside in the eye. The man was looking at me behind me. Ah, this thing is true. This man knows this thing. You know. He knows what he's saying. You know. It must be true that there are people around him. <laughs> the reason why you are afraid 
is because it's not the strength of the devil you are facing. It's the low level of the knowledge you have within you. I was in a prayer meeting, 1999. We're praying. This is where we prayer warriors. <laughs> People that say they call prayer warriors. Jesus has London. We're praying serious prayer. Then I wanted to go to the washroom to make myself comfortable. As I was, I went to the washroom. There was no light. And there's no touch light to put on. But since I'm a man, I can easily navigate myself. Do you understand? As a man, you navigate yourself. What's the big deal? So I navigated myself to the washroom while I was there. So I was still continuing the prayer. Clap, push, katapa, push. But silently, nikatata, push, This was David Duck. You know, there one brother coming from the private Pray hot prayer for the private Shakata, push, shakata. This brother, he was really praying it. As he entered the washroom, he, as I said, stop. He was saying, kata, kata. Stop. He was just like, I just see, 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 pray. see, pray. see, pray, see, pray. see, yeah. see, and inside he goes back to the prayer room and was praying. You principalities over London, we see, 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 that's why in this season I want to challenge you. You got to read your Bible. You got to get a book. Go to the bookshop. Get us a book. Get something. Food for the stomach is good, but food for the spirit is also good. A man shall not live by bread alone. This morning, we're going to continue this next week, but this morning, I want us to do something very quickly in preparation. I want us to, I want to help you declare the end from the beginning. Under the Holy Spirit, I want to help see to it that Satan himself knows that as the Lord has spoken, 4th of December, it's your personal Thanksgiving Sunday. In the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, that was manifest here in flesh, died, and on the third day, victoriously, triumphantly, he rose from the dead and said, I'm he who was, who is, and who is to come. Behold, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I speak over you in his name. Whatever has been stopping the manifestation of the promises of God in your life, I stand against it today. I command it to be destroyed in Jesus' name. Every weapon of witchcraft, wizardry, occultism, agents of darkness, manipulating the promise of God in your life, not allowing the manifestation of the world, I decree over you today, may they be destroyed in Jesus' name. You will see the manifestation of the promises. Your end will be better than your beginning. Your end will be better than your beginning. 
Your end will be better than your beginning. This is a prophetic word for this church, both online and those here. It will end in laughter. Right now, you might be sorrowing, right now, you might be crying, but it will end in laughter. I speak over you, it will end in laughter. Concerning you, your children, your situation, your family, your job, your business, every area of your life, your immigration process, it will end in laughter. In the name of Jesus Christ, it will end in laughter. It will end in laughter. It will end in laughter. In Jesus' mighty name, I've decreed. Please give him another shout of Please go to seven people and tell them how it will end for you. Go to at least seven people, tell them how it will end for you. God bless you. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.